It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It's a new episode with the Murder Bucket Podcast. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. We have our final part on the Last Supper series for William Bonin, and we are going to be discussing the murder trials, appeals, death row, his Last Supper, and more. Stay tuned to the very end as we also have True Crime News Corner. Let's quickly do our week slash weekend recap. One of the things that was super exciting that happened since the last time we spoke is I was on the worship team for my church for the first time in three years, and I was really nervous at our practice on Wednesday, but once we got to Sunday and everybody was in the sanctuary and we were singing, the atmosphere just completely changed, and I was super excited. I went with it. It was great, and all my nerves were gone. This past weekend, it was Easter. We had a Easter egg scramble at our church. It was ever so slightly chilly in the morning, so of course I wore a jacket because I'm always cold. My daughter had a fantastic time and collected so many eggs. And then we went over to a park near our house to celebrate one of our friend's son's first birthday. My daughter got to play on the playground that was there, and again, it was still a little bit chilly in the afternoon. By the time we got home, she sounded so bad. She had such a runny nose. She sounded like she had been smoking for about 40 years, and we just stayed home, took a nap, and kind of let her chill. Of course, we had to go out grocery shopping for just a little bit, but we didn't stay out for very long. Even though Sunday was Easter, our daughter still wasn't feeling very well, so my husband ended up staying home with her, and they watched service online. And that's pretty much it for the week-slash-weekend recap. Let's go ahead and get started with tonight's episode. We are picking back up where we left off in Part 2 and talking about William's trials. William was brought to Los Angeles County and charged with murder of 12 on November 5, 1981. The judge overseeing this trial was Superior Court Judge William Keene. Deputy District Attorney Sterling Norris was the prosecutor, and he sought the death penalty for each count of murder William was being charged with. During his opening speech, he is quoted saying this, We will prove that he is the freeway killer and as he has bragged to a number of witnesses. We will show you that he enjoyed the killings. Not only did he enjoy it and plan to enjoy it, he had an insatiable demand, an insatiable appetite, not only for sodomy, but for killing. He also stated that William groomed people who had a low mentality to participate in many of his murders. Gregory Miley and James Monroe went through with their previous agreement to testify during William's trial. In his testimony, delivered on November 17th, James stated that shortly after the murder of Stephen Wells, he and William drove to a McDonald's restaurant and purchased hamburgers with the $10 taken from Stephen's wallet. As they had eaten the burgers at William's home, William laughed and said, Thanks, Steve, wherever you are before James had also joined in the laughter. Gregory testified to his participation in the murders of Charles Miranda and James McCabe, describing in graphic detail how the two victims were beaten and tortured with various instruments before their murders 
and how he had heard a bunch of bones cracking as William had pressed a tire iron against Charles's neck. Gregory continued his testimony with these words. The kid vomited. I jumped down on him the same way, killing the guy. Several members of the audience hastily left the courtroom as William's accomplices delivered their testimony, later stating to reporters gathered outside the courtroom that they found the recited details too nauseating. William's attorneys decided to challenge almost all of the prosecution's witnesses and suggest that they were significant mitigating factors of William's behavior that lay in the physical, sexual, and emotional abuse he received as a child. They called Dr. David Foster to testify on William's behalf. Dr. Foster stated that due to the repeated abandonment as a child, William was never nurtured, protected, or was given behavioral feedback, and this resulted in psychological development delays. He also claimed that the physical, sexual, and emotional abuse that William endured as a child made him not understand the differences between violence and love. In order to deny any of these claims, the prosecution brought to the stand forensic psychiatrist Park Dietzt, who stated that William's behavior was inconsistent with any inability to control his impulses. He went on to state that William's actions were planned and not impulsive, and that he was a sexual sadist and suffered from an antisocial personality disorder. On November 24th, prison inmate Lloyd Douglas testified that William had bragged to him of his culpability in the freeway killer murders while both were incarcerated in the Los Angeles County Jail in the summer of 1980. According to Lloyd, William had held a newspaper article aloft before saying to him, these are the little boys I got a hold of. Lloyd then outlined a number of salacious allegations regarding William's torture of victims that were otherwise not supported with valid evidence. Closing arguments lasted from December 16th to December 22nd of 1981. During his closing arguments, District Attorney Norris described William as an insatiable, callous individual. He also described the torture that William's victims endured. He finished by begging the jury to give William what he has earned. On December 21st, 1981, the defense attorney began his closing argument by making a request that the jury return the reasonable verdict that they could bring, indicating a likelihood of not guilty in at least one of the murder counts. He claimed that many of the state's testimonies were tailored and that they were 100% unbelievable. He went on to remind the jury that the inconsistencies had been exposed during James Monroe's testimony of Stephen Wells's murder. He reminded the jury of the extensive abuse William had endured as a child. The trial was put into recess until December 28th, and the jury was ordered to formally begin their deliberations. On January 6, 1982, the jury came back with their verdict and convicted William of 10 of the 12 murders. He was found not guilty of the murders of Thomas Glenn Lundgren and Sean King. He was also found not guilty of committing sodomy against Marcus Grabs, of committing mayhem upon Thomas Glenn Lundgren, and of robbing one other victim. On January 20, 1982, the jury further found that the special circumstances required within California state law had been met in the 10 murder cases for which they found William guilty 
and thus unanimously recommended that he receive the death penalty. On March 12, 1982, Superior Court Judge William Keene formally sentenced William to death for the 10 murders for which he had been convicted. Describing the murders as a gross revolting affront to human dignity, Superior Court Judge William Keene further ordered at this hearing that if William's death sentence was commuted to one of life imprisonment, the sentences would run consecutively. William was then ordered to be remanded to the warden of San Quentin State Prison to await execution in the gas chamber. William remained unmoved upon the receipt of his sentence, having earlier informed his attorney that he fully expected to formally receive the death penalty. On March 21, 1983, William was brought to trial in Orange County and charged with the robbery and murder of four further victims who had been found murdered within this jurisdiction between November 1979 and May of 1980. He was tried before Superior Court Judge Kenneth Lay. The prosecutor at Williams' Orange County trial, Brian Brown, contended that all four victims killed within this jurisdiction had been abducted while hitchhiking, then ordered to strip before being bound about the wrists and ankles. Each of the four victims had then endured rape, beatings, torture, and finally ligature strangulation. In each instance, the ligature had left an impression measuring approximately one half of an inch upon the victim's neck. He went on to state that all four of these victims had been killed by the same person who killed Charles Miranda and Stephen Wells. George Miley and James Monroe kept their end of the agreement and testified during this trial as well, stating that they both accompanied William on each of these murders. The prosecution also had forensic experts who testified that the fibers discovered upon the bodies of all four victims in question were a precise match with the carpeting in William's van. The interior of the van had also been extensively stained with human blood. In reference to the evidence found within the van itself, Brian Brown is quoted saying this to the jury, One can truly say from the evidence found within the van, it is a virtual death wagon. During the six-week trial, William's attorneys called two witnesses in his defense, one of whom was James Monroe, who conceded William had communicated with him prior to his testifying in the second trial, requesting that he lie when called to deliver his testimony. Closing arguments were delivered on August 1, 1982. The jury deliberated for less than three hours before announcing on August 2, 1982, that they had found William guilty on all four counts of murder, in addition to the three counts of robbery. The jury announced on August 22nd that they recommended William be sentenced to death on each count. Superior Court Judge Kenneth Lay gave William four death sentences for each count and described William as sadistic and guilty of monstrous criminal conduct. William was transferred to San Quentin State Prison, where he would await execution in the gas chamber. There isn't too much information regarding Williams' life on death row. This is about all we know. While on death row, William began painting and writing. He wrote a series of short stories called Doing Time, stories from the mind of a death row prisoner. He received several awards for his artwork, short stories, and poems. 
While working on his short stories, Williams sent letters to several of the mothers of his victims. He never expressed regret or remorse and purposefully withheld information. Many people believe he did this because he found pleasure in it. There was one occasion where he told Sean King's mother that her son was his favorite. Even though he was supposed to be executed by gas chamber, that was superseded by lethal injection by the state of California in 1992. The reasoning for this was because inmate Robert Harris exhibited symptoms of discomfort for about four minutes while in the gas chamber. The state opted to use lethal injection as an alternate method and branding the gas chamber as cruel and unusual method of execution. William, of course, filed many appeals against his convictions and sentencing. He stated that the jury was, one, prejudiced toward him, two, the potential of jury inflammation via listening to numerous victim impact statements, and the inadequate defense. Each appeal, however, was unsuccessful with the U.S. Supreme Court. They refused to overturn Williams' death penalty convictions in August 1988 and January 1989. Even though they upheld his convictions, they did, however, state that Superior Court Judge William Keene failed to fully heed a warning given by the prosecution prior to the Los Angeles County trial that James Monroe had discussed the possibility of agreeing to legal representation prior to his testimony. The defense attorney stated that there was a potential for a conflict of interest. However, Superior Court Judge William Keene permitted them to act as Williams' defense at his first trial. The U.S. Supreme Court stated that despite this finding, it would not affect the overall verdict. On February 20, 1996, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals rejected a plea of clemency submitted by Williams' attorney on the grounds of inadequate legal representation at both of his trials. Scarcely one hour prior to his scheduled execution, the Supreme Court refused to hear Williams' final plea to overturn his death sentence, with a convened panel in almost unanimous agreement that Williams' own attorneys had not failed to give their client adequate legal representation by not earlier discovering their submitted claims to have discovered evidence to attesting to Williams' innocence. Furthermore, these appellate judges ruled that Williams' attorneys should not have waited until the last minute to submit arguments to overturn or postpone this impeding death sentence of their client. These convened judges also rejected Williams' final claim that he had a right to choose between the gas chamber or lethal injection as his actual method of execution. So what was Williams' last supper request? William asked for two large pizzas, three pints of ice cream, and three six-packs of Coke. He also asked to watch Jeopardy. He was allowed to have five people in his cell with him during his final hours. These included his attorney, a chaplain, and a prospective biographer. The question is, could William honestly eat and drink all of this within six hours before he was executed? Who honestly knows? There are no reports if he did or didn't. I do have to say, though, that as a last meal, two large pizzas, some ice cream, and some Coke actually sounds really good. For me personally, my favorite toppings on a pizza are 
pepperoni, sausage, bacon, chicken, you know, a complete meat lovers. Even though I used to be a vegetarian for seven years, I don't really like a lot of vegetables on my pizza. I'm not a big olives kind of person. I like onions, but not really on a pizza. I could go for pineapples, but that's not a vegetable. That's a fruit, obviously. And then I do like spinach and tomatoes on pizza. Is really delicious. Tell me what kind of toppings you love on your pizza. Then my favorite type of ice cream is going to be anything with chocolate and caramel and nuts and like Reese's peanut butter cups. So I really like Rocky Road and Moose Tracks and and butter pecan because I'm just an old soul. What is your favorite type of ice cream? And Coke as a last drink, I guess, is okay. I personally like Coke Zero, but if it has to be regular Coke, that's fine. I guess I'll deal with it. What would be your last drink if you were on death row? And finally, at 11.45 p.m. on February 22nd, 1996, William was escorted from his cell into the execution chamber. These were his last words. I feel the death penalty is not an answer to the problems at hand. I feel it sends the wrong message to the people of this country. Young people act as they see other people acting instead of as people tell them to act. I would advise that when a person has a thought of doing anything serious against the law, that before they do, they should go to a quiet place and think about it. William was pronounced dead at 2.13 a.m. on February 23, 1996. None of his relatives chose to come to his execution. Several relatives of his victims did attend. His family refused to claim his body for several weeks after his execution. His body was then cremated in a private ceremony with none of his family members present. This list of names are the victims of William Bonin for which he was convicted of murdering. Marcus Grabs, Donald Hyden, David Murillo, Frank Fox, Charles Miranda, James McCabe, Ronald Gatlin, Glenn Barker, Russell Ruff, Harry Turner, Stephen Wood, Darian Kendrick, Lawrence Sharp, and Stephen Wells. This list of names are the suspected victims of William Bonin for which he has never been convicted of. Thomas Lundgren, Mark Shelton, Robert Ryorstek, Kern County John Doe, John Kilpatrick, Michael McDonald, and Sean King. And that concludes the Last Supper series of William Bonin. Let's move into... Alex Murdaugh, the disgraced South Carolina attorney, found guilty in the murders of his 22-year-old son Paul and his wife Maggie, has been sentenced to life in prison. Alex's sentencing in Judge Clifton Newman's court came little more than 12 hours after the 54-year-old disbarred lawyer was found guilty on two counts of murder in the June 2021 killings, as well as two counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. Jurors reached the guilty verdict after less than three hours of deliberation that capped the six-week trial that has captured the imagination of America. 
Ryan Rovito, 34, was confronted by his wife on March 8th after she discovered the camera in their home's guest bathroom, according to the Reading Police Department. He admitted to knowing about the camera and said he would throw it away, but his wife had seized it and the hard drive it was connected to. His wife contacted the police over concerns that he had recorded their young children using the bathroom. Police obtained a search warrant for the devices and detectives performed a preliminary forensic analysis in which more than 900 images of child pornography and multiple videos from the bathroom camera were found. Adnad Saeed, subject of the popular podcast Serial, had his murder conviction reinstated by an appeals court. Anod's conviction was overturned in September 2022, and prosecutors subsequently dropped all charges against him. However, victim Heyman Lee's brother appealed that ruling. Young Lee argued that he had a right to participate in the September 19th hearing that overturned Saeed's conviction. Lee said he had been alerted on short notice and was therefore only able to appear by video. The Appellate Court of Maryland sided with Young Lee in a 2-to-1 decision. The appeals court agreed that Lee received notice of the hearing too late. Edgar Salvador Cassian Garcia and his girlfriend Arcelia Medina are charged with murdering a child as well as four counts of first-degree rape and three counts of first-degree assault of a child. U.S. Marshals, with the help from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, recovered their five surviving children, including their infant son and Medina's four biological children in Mexico and brought them back to the United States. John Bishkoff, who oversees the Missing Children's Division at NCMEC, stated, We are so thankful that all five missing children have been recovered safely. The crimes that Arcelia Medina and Edgar Garcia are charged with are heinous and we commend the unwavering dedication of law enforcement. This successful rescue is a testament to the critical importance of collaboration and community involvement in safeguarding our most vulnerable population. Dr. Tomas Roman Kosowski was arrested and charged with the first-degree murder in the killing of Stephen Kazi, who disappeared from his Largo law office on March 21st near Tampa. Surveillance footage shows a man police believe to be Dr. Tomas pulling up in a gray Toyota Tundra at around 8.32 a.m. and enter the building wearing gloves, carrying a large box, and wearing a large backpack. The man believed to be Dr. Tomas exited the building at around 10.22 a.m. wearing a new outfit and pulling behind him a large cart that appears to be heavy and have a red bag or blanket on it. A former deputy U.S. Marshal was found guilty in Los Angeles of hatching a twisted rape fantasy scheme to make it look like his former fiancé had tried to lure men on Craigslist to rape his then-wife. Ian Diaz and Angela Diaz executed the plot in 2016 that sent Michelle Hadley to jail for 88 days before she was exonerated. The Diaz couple concocted the conspiracy after Ian Diaz and Hadley became embroiled in a dispute over a condo they had purchased together in 2015 in Anaheim. And finally, what happened to Jamie Kale? 
the 42-year-old former American competitive swimming champion's cause and manner of death remain a mystery more than a month after her death in the U.S. Virgin Islands, where police say her boyfriend told them that he found her unresponsive around midnight on February 21st. A Virgin Island Police Department spokesman told Fox News Digital that her toxology results were still pending and that he would have an update to share on the case later that day. But it never came, and the VIPD has not responded to multiple inquiries throughout the following week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Murder Bucket. Have a wonderful evening. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.